Hello and welcome to your Actives Beyond the Byline podcast. I am Evikiori and every week we provide a view on what's beyond the news. We are experiencing the worst inflation of the past decades and countries like Albania are pushed to poverty. We ask if the accession in the EU remains the citizens' biggest hope and why the country's prime minister is lashing out at the EU. But first, we start our journey from Bulgaria, where the outgoing government decided to expel 70 Russian diplomats for espionage. All this in the aftermath of numerous protests against the outgoing government. tensions. Uh, the most surprising uh, was the decision of the outgoing uh, government of uh, Kirill Petkov to kick out 70 uh, Russian diplomats and uh, embassy staff. Uh, that is a record number uh, for the post-Cold War period, not only for Bulgaria, but uh, overall. Georgi Gotev is Euractiv senior editor and publisher of Euractiv Bulgaria. It's strange. Uh, because uh, Bulgaria is known as a EU and NATO country keen to preserve its uh, traditional good relations with Russia. And now Bulgaria runs the risk of seeing Russia close its embassy in Sofia. And why is this important? What does it mean in practice? This is a signal that something important uh, is happening uh, behind the scenes. And there are many conspiracy theories uh, For my part, I will try to answer your question by uh, quoting what politicians said. Uh, first and foremost, uh, the Prime Minister Petkov, uh, he named the Russian ambassador in Sofia, uh, Eleonora Mitrofanova, as one of the people uh, responsible for the no-confidence uh, vote that brought down his uh, government uh, on the 23rd of June. Uh, Petkov said that Uh, he was honored to be the prime minister of a government which was overthrown by the leaders of the political parties who voted against him and Mitrofanova. It's quite unusual and it's also very significant that along with the political forces who voted against him in parliament, the Bulgarian uh, prime minister uh, mentions uh, the name of the Russian ambassador. And then... Mitrofanova, uh, I will quote her, uh, she spoke on national television uh, and uh, she said the following, I'm quoting to be precise, if he, Petkov, had changed his rhetoric and not talked the way he does, I think he would have had a very long political life, end of quote, Mitrofanova said. You know, the Bulgarian press wrote that this statement uh, uh, can be interpreted as a direct threat from Russia, suggesting that if uh, the prime minister behaves uh, favorably towards the Kremlin, uh, he would have remained in Bulgarian politics for a long time. This is a scandal. Mm-hmm. And why is Bulgaria important for Russia? Uh, what role does the country play? Well, Bulgarians are grateful that uh, Tsarist uh, Russia uh, waged the uh, Uh, Russian-Turkish War in 1877-1878, liberating Bulgaria after 500 years of uh, Ottoman rule. Uh, Many Russians uh, gave their lives for the freedom of Bulgaria. Russians feel 
comfortable in, in uh, Bulgaria. Some 300,000 Russians have reportedly bought uh, homes in Bulgaria, especially at the Black Sea coast. Uh, however, the economic relations are in an all-time low. Uh, because of the sanctions, there are no uh, air flights and uh, therefore no Russian tourists in Bulgaria, although Russia used to be the number one country according to the number of uh, tourists in Bulgaria. So uh, B- Bulgaria is important to Russia. At the same time, maybe it isn't. On a previous episode of the podcast, I had Krasenikolov explaining to us why the ties between Russia and Bulgaria remain strong and how Bulgarians didn't hold Putin accountable for the war in Ukraine. Do you think that this new, let's say, crisis among the two countries will change this belief? I think uh, that this is precisely what is happening right now. While some politicians in Sofia are very vocal about the dire consequences of Bulgaria, of Russia closing its embassy, others see this crisis as an opportunity. Uh, my personal opinion is that Bulgaria needs uh, shock therapy to get rid of a relationship with Russia, and before that with the Soviet Union, which was never respectful of Bulgaria's sovereignty. Moscow uh, has always acted and uh, communicated as if Bulgaria were its colony and Bulgarian leaders were its servants. And what is Russia's goal uh, with this ultimatum and what has been the reaction of the Bulgarian government to that? Uh, The Russian ambassador uh, gave a very stupid uh, ultimatum uh, for Bulgaria to reverse its decision to kick out the 70 uh, Russian diplomats and embassy staff or uh, the next day at 12 o'clock Russia would would close its embassy. Uh, The reaction of the government was very calm. The ultimatum expired and nothing happened. Uh, Russia didn't break relations as Mitrofanova had threatened. We're still waiting for the Russian uh, reaction. Now, another interesting aspect is the data presented by the Bulgarian secret services that Russia pays public figures to spread its propaganda. What's your take on this and how important is this? Well, I'm sure that indeed, as the Bulgarian secret services recently said, the Russian embassy and Russian funds uh, are paying uh, money to Bulgarian opinion makers and Bulgarian media uh, to pass the message of the Kremlin to the Bulgarian uh, public. Uh, In addition, a lot of people in Bulgaria watch Russian television channels and are exposed to this propaganda uh, anyway. Uh, Bulgaria is probably the country most impacted by uh, Russian propaganda. Uh, The problem so far has been that uh, with a weak government in which at least one political force uh, in the coalition, uh, the socialists, are pro-Russian, Uh, there was little appetite uh, to tackle this problem. And uh, very probably Bulgarians uh, we will vote in early elections in September. Uh, hopefully a different uh, majority will be able to make uh, good decisions for the country, including to fight uh, effectively the Russian uh, disinformation. But uh, while I'm saying this, Let me tell you, uh, I know that this is wishful thinking. Uh, It is very difficult to have a reformist majority in Bulgaria, a country where the mafia and the Russian agents are still very strong. And what would the solution to the propaganda be? Are there fundamental changes in the media required? 
As everyone um, has noticed, uh, Bulgaria is uh, usually ranked uh, uh, very, very low uh, as a country uh, where the media freedom uh, is, uh, is really a big problem. And uh, uh, I think um, uh, the media have a huge uh, responsibility in fighting the Russian uh, uh, propaganda and of uh, presenting uh, issues in a in a honest uh, in a honest manner. Uh, yeah, uh, but uh, this is not going to happen uh, uh, overnight. Uh, I am uh, among. Uh, a group of uh, journalists we are trying to to make things change this is why uh, personally i created euractive bulgaria uh, three years ago but uh, yeah i mean it's uh, it's a long way but we will succeed thank you georgi You're listening to Euractiv's Beyond the Byline podcast. Subscribe to our podcast newsletter on euractivecom slash newsletters. And if you want to expand your knowledge in other fields, you can listen to our digital brief podcast and agri-food brief podcast. And if you have any comments or ideas, you can drop a line at podcasts at euractive.com. There is a lot of worry in the atmosphere due to the inflation that follows the energy crisis and the Russian war in Ukraine. The first countries that feel the repercussions of this inflation are the poorest ones. Albania, who is one of the candidates to join the EU, is one of these countries. It's rough, you know. Um, I mean, before this sort of situation got to the point where we were at now, Albania was a country with a third of the population living below the international poverty line. So that's living on less than $5 a day. Alice Taylor is Euractiv's editor reporting from Tirana. It's really tough here for people anyway. And then when you put into the equation things like um, the increasing price of fuel uh, and the, the cost of food going up, this becomes a, a significant issue because, okay, in Albania, we have quite a low percentage of car owners, but the price of fuel is one of the highest in Europe. Um, and of course, to move goods, to bring to bring food from the ports, from the airport, to make deliveries to shops, to deliver flour to bakeries, you know that all that all requires fuel, petrol, diesel. Um, and if the price of that has gone up, this is then passed on to shops. Alice, you live there. You experienced these people's reality firsthand. How is the situation? There was a bakery on my road which has closed because. They were in a situation where they couldn't sell food at a price that people could afford to buy it. Does that make sense? You know, they would have had to have put the price up so high that people would have been not able to afford bread. Um, and this is really, I mean, this is a big problem. Things like cooking oil, it's uh, about five euros a litre at the moment. And if you consider the average Albanian is bringing home about 300, 350 euros a month, It's huge. It's a huge amount of their money. Um, some food items have increased in price up to 40%. Um, so this is, while overall inflation is maybe around 10 or 11%, some items, that number is significantly higher. So 
people are definitely feeling the pinch. Um, another issue is, and it, it might seem silly, but people can't even afford to go to the coast for the for the weekend or during the summer. They can't afford to go to the beach because they can't afford the fuel. They can't afford to eat when they get there. The price of coffee's gone up, you know, the price of an umbrella on the beach. This might sound like a luxury, but, you know, these are things which impact people's lives. So morale is low as well. People are not able to go and enjoy themselves like they were before. They're constantly worried about being able to afford things. And what is the government doing about it? There have been widespread protests. Um, there were huge national protests. In fact, they were the largest non-partisan protests since the fall of communism um, against the rise in the cost of living. And there have been other protests since as well, because people say that the government are not doing enough. Um, now, what you have to understand is the government's coffers have increased by hundreds of millions of euros because of price rises, you know? So because costs have gone up, the revenue the government gets has increased as well. But this is not being passed back to people. There have been some um, relief packages and some bits of help here or there. But I mean, I, I think it was the World Bank recently said, you know, that the government are not doing enough to help people. The Central Bank of Albania, the governor who doesn't usually speak out against the government, said the government needs to do more to help vulnerable people. Now, they, they set up a transparency board um, because when prices for everything started going up, people said that the market was being abused. So um, like fuel companies were put over inflating prices, etc. So they created this transparency board, which is supposed to meet every week and review prices together and set prices for things like fuel, cooking oil, flour, sugar, you know, essential basket items. But the problem is this transparency board is comprised of some of the richest business owners <laughs> in the entire country. So you have people who control entire markets, like you have one, one man who controls the entire fuel market, who sat on this board setting the price for the cost of fuel. This is not, people don't find it effective. Like obviously they're not going to set lower prices because that would result in them losing money. And is Albania still hoping for things to get better on a financial level with its EU accession? And how are things on that front? Albania and North Macedonia's um, EU integration path over the last couple of weeks has been like something out of a Turkish telenovela. It's been, I've just been sort of glued to what's going on. Um, so essentially, Albania is one of the most EU hopeful, positive, loving countries in the region. You know, Albanian people really want to be part of the EU since they fell from communism. You know, this has been the sole focus of the country. Um, but obviously, as you know, the enlargement process, for want of a better phrase, has gone a bit tits up um, and is not going to plan. Eddie Rama, our Prime Minister, who is, he's a character, you know, he's not your normal statesman, you know, Macron is like the most boring person you've ever met in your entire life, whereas we have Eddie Rama, who is just, he doesn't care, and he turned up at the Western Balkans EU summit a couple of weeks ago, and he said, you know, I feel really sorry for the EU, they're impotent, they don't have any power, I hope we can help them, you know, he really really laid into them. Um, and even the other day, uh, just this week, he said, 
he called them impotent again. Um, he said the EU is outdated. The way it works is outdated. It has to be changed. But then he made this joke and I was like, oh, you can't go around saying things like this. He compared the EU to a bride, to a wife. And he said, we've been waiting for our bride to come from Brussels, but she's never come. Um, she, if she wants to come and marry us and get into bed with us and have children, that's great. But if she doesn't, you know, we feel bad. And I was like, you're comparing EU accession to having sex. This is so cringy. Um, but I sort of, I see his frustration, you know, because the country, Albania is not perfect. There is a lot of work still to do, but we've been trying, you know, and we deserve to be part of EU. When I look at what's going on in Bulgaria and I think, you know, we're doing a bit better than them and they're members of the EU for quite a long time. And do you think these comments against the EU from the Albanian prime minister are a way to boost the citizens' morale and maybe his voters' morale? I wrote about this. Now, I am not someone who praises politicians. I don't generally like any politicians. Um, but do you know what? And I, I, I don't particularly like Eddie Rama either, um, to be, and that's been quite polite. But do you know what? When he stood on that stage in Brussels and he spoke like that, not the comments about the bride, that was later, but when he got up on that stage and he spoke out And he said, you know, you need to sort yourself out. It's pathetic. You can't stand up to Bulgaria. There's no unity. You know, he, I think people look at the Western Balkans and they feel sorry for the Western Balkans. They're, oh, poor Western Balkans. They'll never get in. They look down on us. And I don't think Eddie Rama wanted to go to Brussels and beg, you know, or to sell his pride. Oh, we really want to be part of you. Please let us in. You know, he stood on that stage And he, he, he said, okay, fine. You know, you get your, your own house sorted and we'll be here when you're ready. He kept the pride of the country. Uh, and as you know, Albanians are very proud people. People in the Balkans are very proud people. They've been through a huge amount in order to hang on to their identities, their countries, their borders, you know. And do you know what I'm quite proud of, of those prime ministers who stood up there and defended themselves? Um, so I think it was something they were defending themselves, but it was also a boost for people in the countries as well who are feeling deflated, who are feeling hopeless. It was, do you know what? No one needs to pity us. And I think that was a very important message that was sent. And this is one of the few times you'll ever hear me praising a politician. Alice, thank you for joining us. I am Evikiori and this was your Active's Beyond the Byline podcast. Visit youractive.com for the latest news. And if you haven't subscribed to the podcast, you can do so on your favorite podcasting app. This episode was produced by me with the help of Georgi Gotev and Alice Taylor. Thank you very much for listening. Music.